Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Violist Molly Carr and pianist Anna Petrova make beautiful music together, and audiences around the world are certainly grateful. Let me begin by saying I had the distinct honor and privilege of having a conversation with Molly a while back, and I couldn't be more excited to do so again and to meet the other half of the Carr-Petrova duo. Acclaimed international soloists, the pair began playing music together in their time at Juilliard and the Manhattan School of Music in 2005 and have performed together worldwide in the years since. Each has won top prizes in several international competitions and have performed at Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, and at the Marlboro Music Festival, Ravinia Mozart Fest. In August of 2018, Molly and Anna launched Novel Voices, a year-long initiative designed to raise awareness about the lives and struggles of refugees around the world. Along with composer Fernando Arroyo Lascurin and filmmakers Victoria Stevens and Skylar Knudsen, they visited eight refugee camps in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East, giving performances, holding workshops, and filming the life stories of their audience members. With the end of their project comes their debut album, also titled Novel Voices, which along with the film premiered at a final Refugees Awareness concert at Carnegie Hall. To say I'm excited to meet and have a conversation with Molly and Anna is an understatement. So welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Sandy. Thank you for having us. I have to say that I was aware of this project because Molly gave me the heads up when we talked the last time. (laughs) And as I said to you then, and as I'm going to say now, you left me with my mouth wide open based on all the stuff that you do and that you undertake. But for those who didn't have the pleasure of hearing the conversation, and they should go back and listen to it, talk to me about how Novel Voices was born and why it was born. Um, This story actually is about going on two years ago. Um, Anna and I were trying to figure out what our next step would be as a duo. Um, what, what did we want to do um, in our career? What did we want to, did we want to record an album? Where did we want to perform? What were the things we wanted to do? And right around that time, I was actually um, studying Hebrew. And um, I was taking Skype lessons across the country with a woman that was living in L.A. Um, and... In one of my Skype lessons, uh, she said, oh, I'm so sorry, I have to leave early today because I have to take my adopted refugee boy to school. And I, and I kind of went, um, I'm sorry, can you tell me more about huh? that? What? Yeah. <laughs> and, it's like she buried so, the lead in a sense, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So I, I said, you know, what is this about? And she told me about this amazing organization that she has been volunteering with and has been a part of for the past couple of years. It's called Home for Refugees, and it's an organization in the L.A. area that adopts refugee families and helps them um, live their lives and start over in America. Does she sponsor a refugee family? This organization consists of um, five to eight people who gather together and um, adopt a family. And whatever the family's needs are, um, they're fed fed the yeah. family yeah. Um, mm-hmm. from the, the IRC or the government agencies. When, when the family comes into the U.S., they're given this family and then, but because of the, the situation in America right now that 
we're not terribly welcoming no, to refugees. Not, are there's we? not a yeah. lot of funding mm-hmm. to go towards um, helping them assimilate. It comes down to individuals and people willing to, to take time and step up and be a friend and help help people who don't speak the language, don't know the health system, don't know you so know how to function. Here, yes, to right? navigate. Yes, to to start a new life in a completely new world, a new a new culture, and so. This Hebrew teacher, Lynn was her name, is her name. She and you said to her, Tadaraba, after she. <laughs> I did, yes, Tadaraba. Uh, thank Lynn. you for exposing yes. me to this. Uh-huh. Yeah. When I heard about this, my jaw was on the floor, and, and, and I started um, asking my friends and colleagues, do you know anything about the refugee situation in America? Do you know where the refugee communities are? Do, like, who who is helping how like what are the organizations how can we get involved and everyone i asked didn't know anything my generation didn't know anything and so this was shocking to me that when i started actually doing digging i i learned about so very quickly learned about so many organizations when i heard this um amazing news about this organization um, i started asking my friends and colleagues around me do you know what's going on in America? Do you know where the refugee communities are? We hear about all this stuff in the news. It's like a really hot topic and it like really makes people hot and angry. But but what about like what can we do to help? Do you know what's um, what can we do? And the answer was always, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure. I, you know, just like get involved politically. That meant then that when I um, came and talked to Anna, my dual partner, um, and we dreamed up this crazy idea of doing this project um, where we could do all of the classical music career things that we wanted to do, but also have a social angle in trying to raise awareness. This was, it just, it was like the stars aligned and we had this crazy idea of like going to refugee camp, bringing a composer, bringing a filmmaker. What if we could educate ourselves and educate the people around us that didn't know about like as little people what we can do to like step by step like what can we do to be a friend what can we do to help make a difference because if people know it's the first step to to doing something about it so in america um we actually home for refugees the director of home for refugees was the one that sat us down and talked us through all of the different types of refugees and immigrants and asylum seekers right, in America. Right. Uh-huh. If you would like to learn fully about that, we have the interview with her on our website. You can go and find it in our mm-hmm. LA portion. Mm-hmm. But there are two big types of refugee visas in America. And um, both of these types are, if a refugee is in America, it means they're an immigrant at that point. So because our, our country has water on many sides, except for Canada on top and Mexico on bottom. Anyone coming from Syria or Afghanistan or any of this, it means that they have won the lottery or they are on special immigrant visa. So they're here and... They're the, here you know, legally, they're in here, quotes. Yes, they're mm-hmm. here legally and they need our help because mm-hmm. there's very limited resources now in America. You and, think? And, what they, yeah, <laughs> and what, they, what they are wanting more than anything is just a normal life they want to they want to speak the language they want a job they want to to be able to to live their life and they need help doing that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so and then there's also asylum seekers which um also 
comes underneath the term of refugee in America. And so this, yeah, this project is, is one that is, we, we knew from the beginning that it was going to be a really hot topic. We knew that it was going to, we were going to have to walk this line. We met all kinds under the refugee term in America. Um, and the organizations that we work with, they served all of the, the types mm-hmm, of refugees mm-hmm, in America. Mm-hmm. And we, again, our goal with this project was not something political, it was something... Humanitarian. Of the heart. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. something very yeah. simple that yes. you see it, it's human to human. We see yes. there's a need, yes. there's a problem. Well, people need to know about that. And as a human, look at what's happening. Can you help? Exactly. I want to ask you something, Anna. Did this resonate with you in a different way because you were not born in the States? Yeah, it did, actually. It was interesting when when Molly asked me about refugees and I said, well, yeah, sure. What do you want to know about? Because Bulgaria... Where you're from? Is is where I'm from and, and has been the crossroads of basically all of the refugees that are coming in from the Middle East and from from the South, right? Bulgaria is one of the first countries that they will come through. Uh, and as one of the European Union countries, they are um, sort of obliged to seek asylum in Bulgaria. Who would have thought, considering what Bulgaria's history is with these sealed borders? I mean, who, who even knew where Bulgaria was, you know, back in the day, right? <laughs> Well, <laughs> or is that not being fair? Well, um, I know. I, I think now Bulgaria that is part already of the European Union for um, a bunch of years. Yes, maybe. but back in the day, you know, it was Albania and Romania. Nobody. Sure. And now, unfortunately, Bulgaria is um, Bulgaria is a little bit of um, in in trouble with all of the refugees that are arriving because we don't necessarily have the resources to take care of so many people. Yet this is the first stop that they come through and they are they have to seek asylum there, so they have to um, try to stay there stay, and assimilate yeah. there. Uh-huh. And so this was... I came in from a completely different um, point of view, right, for for refugees. And come in Bulgaria, actually, a lot of the Bulgarian citizens have been feeling um, on the edge with that some of the uh, arrivals, some of the refugee arrivals, because... Overwhelmed also. Overwhelmed. Oh, mm, the finances, like I explained already, they don't have enough uh, for sometimes the citizens of Bulgaria. So yep. uh-huh. the citizens so were rebelling. There. there is a yeah. lot of conflict. And yeah. there were a bunch of riots, actually, in a couple of refugee camps by the refugees themselves. They, like, put fires on and started... Um, rebelling against the government, rebelling against the conditions of the camp and all of that. So it was a a very different um, standpoint that I had. And I thought, but but it would be, it was interesting for me to try to do something um, from the heart, as Molly explained, something that takes away the politics, takes away uh, all the, you know, associations and the preconceived notions and actually go and meet people and we met extraordinary people people that speak multiple languages that have education that are uh, very intelligent they're very kind people and we saw i think a lot of um, stories and and life stories that they're not necessarily portrayed in the news always 
and show, showed us a very, very different world than the refugee world that we all know of. The contrast for you must be huge in terms of how you came here and how right. they're trying to come yeah. here. It definitely impacted me. I mean... Um, Do you still have family in Bulgaria? I, all of my family is there. Are you a U.S. citizen? I am not a U.S. citizen. I am on a work visa here right now. I've been on a student visa for quite some time. And I can't say that I exactly felt as a refugee, like a refugee here, but, you know, knowing what it is to not really speak the language or to be struggling with a new culture, I was afraid to even go and buy a metro card when I arrived here. Well, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, so and Molly and I often thought about that when we were going into the different refugee centers to try and talk to them and present our musical workshops we always needed translators from a few languages not even just one and we felt like we couldn't express ourselves fully to the refugees and be understood by them because we couldn't speak the common language of course we had such huge cultural differences that we felt that maybe the way we say certain things would not resonate with them just because of our manners of, of talking and our manners of being as Western Europeans or Americans or, you know. So we often thought about that, what it is to be in a completely foreign place, not have anybody help you, not have any money, not have any support, not have the language. And so everybody that we've met just wants to have some kind of normalcy. Yeah. And, and an everyday life that doesn't involve immigration or running around making court appointments and uh, paperwork and just have a simple job and be able to come back home and have food on the table. By having met Molly before, her approach to life is so inspiring and impactful that you undertook this on some level is no surprise to me, Definitely. You know, <laughs> based on who you are. Absolutely. And the fact is, I'm sure that you can sell ice in winter when it comes to <laughs> convincing people to get on board. So you've got... She didn't have to convince me too much. No, I yeah. didn't mean you. Yeah. Trust me, I didn't mean you. <laughs> it was so obvious to you, Anna, to join forces with Molly on this mission. Yes, Molly is a very inspiring um, colleague and friend. And apart from loving to play with her, uh, she has a very big heart. So she always tries to put her music for a greater good. How long did it take you to give birth to this? But was this just met with like, are you nuts? We were two nights without sleeping for 48 hours in my couch. We... Realized this project like we made all the steps. Yeah, dreamed it up and and I won't Anna wants to throw the couch out I won't let her throw the couch out because our, our inspiration right, I, go, I go to her place right. and I'm like okay, not today. We have to stay away from the couch today <laughs> Because who knows what crazy yeah, stuff gonna we're gonna come up with her. Yeah, yeah, she knows you yeah. well uh-huh. Yeah, but we did um, it was just like this crazed 48 hours of like this, 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 and we felt so excited and so strongly about, like, we just saw it all step, 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 like this. And then we slept, and then we woke up and went, oh, my gosh, what have we done? <laughs> well, at that <laughs> point, we, you were, that was just still in your brain. We would had already made a few phone calls. We called Fernando, um, and, like, still sitting on that couch in that 48 hours, we were like, hey, we're going to do this. Are you in? 
And he was like, yeah, I'm totally in. <laughs> and then I called um, a filmmaker friend who had, I had been involved with through um, our prison work for Project Music Kills Us. And I was like, hey, I want to meet with you. I'm telling you about this. Are you in? She's like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> and so it was like we're like, you know, picking up more and more people as, as we went along. And, and then yeah. we had to figure out how we're going to pay for all of that. We were both alumni of the Music Academy of the West. And they were just starting to give out these awards for entrepreneurs. It's called Alumni Enterprise Award, and we applied for it and we got it. Yeah. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah. were very, very happy to be able to at least launch the project with that support. Have a base, a financial base, yes. so to speak. Yes, uh -huh. and then s probably less than two months afterwards, like we're speaking now April of last year. Of 2018. Yeah. So I was a music director, church organist in Dumont, New Jersey, while I was studying here in the city. That's two towns away from where I live. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, well, I spent every Sunday there. <laughs> And so my pastor of the church, Elaine Wing, she heard about this project that we're starting it. And she said, well, you need to speak to this person. And then that person connected us to Liberato Bautista, who is the General Secretary of the Assistant United Nations. General Secretary of the UN. Right. And yeah. suddenly we were connected with the UN. I mean, two months into the project. And we, we immediately spoke with him on the phone and he said, well, this is uh, very serendipitous because this year we are having the 70th anniversary of the Declaration of Human Rights. And also in October, there is a huge summit here with all the NGOs who are going to discuss new laws for the refugee plights and, and yeah, the, the crisis, the, mi yeah. the migrants. And he said, wouldn't it be so fitting that you actually play on that summit and you give a concert for refugees as, as part of the celebrations of the two weeks? So here we were, like, <laughs> one and a half months <laughs> into the project. We were already connected with the UN. We had won this uh, uh, award so we can start working. And so we started getting in touch with all the uh, refugee aid organizations and start setting up the camp visits Um, the first one was in Denmark last August, where we went. It was the Yelling Refugee Center run by the Red Cross, the Danish Red Cross. Then we went to New Jersey and we worked with uh, refugee assistant partners in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Later on, we went to Home for Refugees in L.A. And then finally this year in March, we were in the Deheche refugee camp in the West Bank and two refugee camps in Bulgaria. So, all right, let me get wrap my head around this. Did you not have other professional obligations that you had to meet? We separated our activities. We started out in August. We went to Denmark. Of what, 2018? Of 2018, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then our UN performance was in October, October, early October. Actually on Anna's birthday. So all of the, the diplomats and the UN ambassadors sang her happy, happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> It was amazing. Yeah. Like, what world are we in? Yeah. Um, and then that same trip, we went to New Jersey. Um, then in December, then we spent a week in L.A., Um, and then in March, we had this epic tour. March of this year already. Of, of March 2019. of 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we went to the West Bank. Two weeks. We spent two weeks, in one in the West Bank and one in Bulgaria. Yeah. So did, what did you average about a week at each camp? No. Any place we went, we also played other concerts because part of the project, I mean, the project is to raise awareness. Right. Any place we went, we also did what 
we know how to do uh, sure. and, and talked about the project to say like, hey, you know why we're here? We're here doing this. Just right. on regular concert know? stages. Yeah. Yes. Did so you, you were letting the audience know. Yeah. When you asked about how we did it, basically we didn't sleep. It's been an intense year. Well, every step of the way, we're like, this is the most intense part. It, once we get through this, it's going to get better. Um, but like clearing, doing all of the clearance paperwork to try yeah. and get into a refugee Did camp you not have anybody something? helping you, like some kind of a, no. you know, no, like no. intern kind of? No, no it, was we, it was just the two of us, nobody else. And it was really a learning curve for, for both of us. I mean, I was on the phone with Bulgarian National Refugee Agency, like with the government agency. I never thought I would be speaking with any of them. Molly yeah, was doing paperwork for the Palestinian camp. Yeah, and and organizing. Um, it's I don't know. It, now even talking about it, it's like what what did we do? What was so stressful? But like because there are people in the camps that you can't take pictures of some of them. You can't film some of them. You have to be clear on what visas each of them are on. They can they appear on camera? Can you talk to them? What are you allowed to ask them? Are we okay to you know? So all of these conversations, it was like it was a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails and a lot of paperwork all the time and just making sure that we're okay, that we're clear, that we have translators, that we yeah. have like, that we have a piano, you know. that we have a piano with a music stand and a stand for the piano itself, and well, oh, and maybe a pedal. Yeah. That would be a luxury. <laughs> but the Hannah filmmakers were always the with you. They were, yes. Well, yeah, yes. I mean, obviously. Mm -hmm. and, and that made things very complicated because a lot of the culture of the refugees that we met does not allow women to I be on camera. I was just going to say yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we went to Bulgaria and we had arranged for months, literally for a year before, yeah. I had been speaking with the government officials, with Caritas, which is... Um, an, another refugee aid organization that works with the government. And so we would partner with all of them. And we explained we want, we want to do a concert. We want to do a workshop. We want to then work with the refugees. They can offer us some of their cultures, like poetry, dance, music, which were all of the things that Fernando needed to get inspiration then to compose his piece. And we said, and all of this will be recorded. And they were like, yeah, perfect, no problem. We'll speak with them, we'll prepare them, we'll make, them sh make sure that they're ready for the fact that they'll be in camera. And then we would go. And the moment they see the camera, they all left. <laughs> and suddenly we had no refugee <laughs> Like uh, months of audience. preparation and we're like... Where the hell is everybody? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. No and they would only allow the children. The children were okay to be on camera. And the, ki the girls, after a certain age, let's say 15 or 16 years old, they were not yeah, allowed anymore yeah. to be on the camera. Mm -hmm. It's like a cultural thing that they say that the woman would embarrass her husband if she appears as a free woman on, on camera. And actually the Bulgarian uh, official, uh, Krasimira Zaneva, we interviewed her and she said that they would be reprimanded, but not only verbally. There were a lot of people that were okay finally with us filming their hands only. So they would talk to us, we would interview them, but only the hands. Yeah, we have one video actually that we posted on our website through our social media campaign that mm -hmm. was 50 Days for Refugees that kind of gathered together all of our experience over the past year and a half and mm -hmm. put it day by day, meeting all the people and places and mm -hmm. um, it kind of explaining all of the things that we learned and what we did. And there's one video in particular that it just... You have to go and let, if you haven't um, watched it yet, it will just, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. And it's only her hands and her feet, but she's singing for us. And there is oh my God. 
Her voice is is like <gasps> it, it just yeah. I it, I have so I have strong. goosebumps now just as you in and you're it, describing it. It's because she was a professional singer oh in God. her homeland and she's been a refugee now for a couple of years and she was amazing. Yeah, and on every post that we did in this social media campaign, we also wrote a lot about like who they were and right. like our mm-hmm. their backstory. Inter- yeah, mm-hmm. and um, her story in particular is just like she's fierce she yeah. is like living and she was in Bul- in the bulgarian camp the bulgarian. now is she still there well we can't really help the people in bulgaria because they are now seeking asylum there so Bulgar- the bulgarian government has to decide whether their paperwork is clear enough and they will whether they will grant them asylum or not but in any case they would wait for asylum in bulgaria and they could wait for up to three years or even five years, I think. And if they're granted asylum, they're allowed to stay in Bulgaria or move to any other country they want to go to in the European Union. And if they're not granted, there is another camp in Bulgaria, which is like a closed down, sort of like a jail camp. That's how we understood it, where you go in for a year and a half. You're not allowed to go out. You can only stay in the confines of the walls of the camp. And then because the law is such that they can't keep you longer there, they will release you in a year and a half. You perform in a camp. Mm-hmm. You're playing the piano. You're playing the viola. Are you doing numerous concerts? Is the interaction just through music? And how did that impact you both? Each of the, the locations we went to, we knowing the population would be a little bit different the age range would be different um we tailored our what we were going to do to each specific location and so for example in Denmark we were in the camp for 3 days we were there and we were just working with kids from age I think it was like 7 to 15 was our main age range. But one thing is that um, Anna mentioned earlier is that we had to have translators because what we were trying to do was use music as a way to break the ice, as a way to show our, our care and show that like we've come here to bring something that we love very much and we want to give our best gift and to And you're you. not invisible. And you see. Right, you. yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And so in Denmark, we did um, a number of workshops. We built a piece together. We had them like draw pictures that look like, because we didn't speak the same language, but pictures and music and sounds could be the same language. Mm -hmm, So we would ask them like, what does happiness look like for you? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, a girl would come up and um, Siham was her name. She came up and drew a picture of a woman getting married in a wedding dress Mm -hmm. or you know, we asked, what does um, cold look like? And we had someone come and draw a, mm-hmm. a person like this. And so then we put these to music. Then we pieced them together, had them build a story. And then we, we just had fun for, for like three days. We just had a blast with them. And then sometimes it would be too much to be like, you know, only talking about music and how to express yourself and this and that. And so we would just break down and play foosball <laughs> <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, and have a blast with them and, and like sit with them and ask them about, you know, where are you from? Like, what's your life like here? Like, how um, do you like Denmark better? Mm-hmm. And we heard crazy stories. Yeah, <laughs> so, we also yeah. would give them short lessons on the viola or the piano. And this how this is also how we became 
for two and a half days we c- became so close with these children that in the end they were like hugging us and crying yeah. and not wanting us to go and asking yeah. us when are you going to come back yeah I can't imagine how this didn't really impact you guys how you didn't carry all of this with you wherever you go and then some I think for both of us we were really glad in the end that we brought filmmakers with us yeah. because I think um, going into this project we we kind of had to like toughen our hearts and and prepare ourselves for what we knew was going to be really tough and so coming in we we're like here it is here it is here's that moment we've been afraid of you know and I I feel like at least for me I missed a lot being there in person that like hearing the interviews what watching the, uh, the you mean as film. you're looking at the going back and watching the yeah film now thing. is ah, I'm going back and watching yeah, the saying, film. wow yes. yeah that I'm like I, I hear this interview that I was interviewing the yes, person yes. Mm-hmm. and I listen to what she's actually saying yeah. and I'm like oh oh my gosh how did I how did I miss this yeah. that like yeah for example one woman from Afghanistan her name was uh, Masama. She's incredible. An amazing woman. She's, we put a lot of, of information about her in our L.A. portion on our um, social media campaign. She had a baby that was born in the States, and she was holding her baby during the whole interview. And, and this interview was where? In, in L.A. LA. In L.A., LA. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So while we're asking her all of these questions about what her life was like and why she fled and, and all of this, um, her baby is just, like, you like know, tapping her and... face and, like, sticking his fingers in her mouth. And she's, you know, just pulling him away like this. And so this this experience of seeing this clash, clash of... between what she was saying and the baby. Oh, I, the intensity I realized, she yeah. was saying. Oh, my and God. So, yeah. So these oh, how jarring that yeah, must have been. Because of this, like, in the moment, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And I didn't really soak in what yeah, the stuff she yeah. was saying. And going back and watching it now, for both of us, we watch it and we're like, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, what? She, You know, talking about, yes, and then I was at work and um, 16 suicide um, bombers, bombers, you know, came in with vests and they were trying, and my, you know, everything exploded and my, and my glasses cracked and then we hid for... 12 hours while like you know ever and then and she's singing so the baby's like burp, 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 you know <laughs> and I, and I, yeah so these yeah and talking about how it impacted us I think it was really great for us to have that film and go back and really watch our whole past year and and soak it in often when we go into the refugee camps this will be the first time that anybody has ever tried to bring in some art some like classical music and so even the administration was going was often be like shocked or mm, not sure why we're trying to do this and and I think watching the film watching the footage really helped us discover those moments where you know somebody would say wow you really you really helped me hear how music has a story and how every music has a story and now from now on I'm always going to listen to classical music in a different way or or like um, Krasimira um, from Bulgaria, who told us that she's been working with the kids that we worked with for two days. Um, she'd been working with them for three years, and in that amount of time, she'd never heard the things that those kids shared with you, with yeah. us. Yeah, because of music. That I think we can take with us. It's a term that we throw around a lot. The power of music is something that we as musicians, like, we hope is true, you know, but when you go and you live it, and you live it for a year, and see that every time you play, you come in and you're like, what are you really doing here? But by the end, the, the yeah. communities and the connections are so strong 
you know, in minutes you can you can do this. And so just witnessing really the power of music is has been really special. What do you hope happens with this film? One of the reasons for which we wanted to have film is because it's such an impactful art and can be spread all around the world. And hopefully, yes, people will watch it, think about what the movie is saying, um, sort of hopefully it will provoke some thinking, some thoughts, some changes in their lifestyle or, you know, push them to do something to help to try to make a difference. Um, You don't seem optimistic or encouraged. It has been, as inspiring as the journey has been, it has also been a challenge. And this was something that actually one of the the former refugees in America said on camera. She said, you know, I'm American now, and even I, being a former refugee, my tendency is to be lazy. My tendency is to be comfortable. I have what I need now. and Well, so I paid for it. Right, Uh right, yeah. And so she said, so when I see you guys doing something like this project, I'm so grateful because what it's going to take to make a difference is one tiny person at a time just getting up off their couch, turning off Netflix, and doing one simple small thing. You're so right. So I'm also really grateful that we did bring in the filmmakers and there will be a documentary because it will live on. And even if we have two people that got off their couch and made a difference then we then we did something mm-hmm. and so oh that's huge yeah that's so absolutely and huge. it's like one person at a time so i am optimistic in that way i also i guess i am naive in a way that like but that's but, good but that's i but i'm gonna keep thing. it and hold on to it because i think one person at a time will make a difference but that hasn't stopped you molly we need the mollies and the annas mm-hmm. so we're running out of time i want to know what's happening with you guys? What's kind of going down the road? The initial stage of this project, um, again, when we dreamed this up, we dreamed it to be a year, year and a half long and end with a refugee awareness concert in Carnegie Hall and also a documentary release. We also have released an album. An album, yeah. And we also have released a podcast. And, <laughs> and yeah. we have a website and full of information. So anyone interested in learning about this journey and learning about ways, just simple, solid ways that they can get involved, they should go to www.carbpetrovaduo.com slash novel voices. Mm-hmm. And we have actually built a map of the United States that has all of the refugee aid organizations across the U.S. Wow. with their, their website links. And so if someone is thinking like, oh, but I live in Nebraska and like, I don't know what refugees, what can I do to make a difference? Well, actually, there are many organizations in your state and in your area, and they are way over overdrawn right now because they don't have enough manpower because they're out of funding. And and so it takes, again, individuals stepping up to make a difference. Our next steps are finishing out the project. Anna and I will be ending our portion, but we're handing it off to Project Music Heals Us. We're creating a whole new branch of Project Music Heals Us, which will be building on the friendships that we made, taking groups of musicians back into um, the West Bank, into the Dehesie camp, 
sending musicians to teach and work with them and perform with them, staying in touch, starting distance learning with any of the kids that were were like Bechnam from um, Afghanistan, who's in Denmark now. He's still, we got in touch with him again. He's in the camp and he wants to be a pianist, but he doesn't have anyone to train him. So we're going we're gonna to set that up and work to see what we can do because this was also a, a crazy thought is, you know, when I go and I, I teach at the Juilliard School in their pre-college division, I go and I, I teach these kids who sometimes they don't come in prepared. Sometimes they like, you know, like, oh, I was tired this way. You know, like this, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, like, we go into a refugee camp and we come and we bring, like, simple bow exercises or something to to a, a kid who has, like, practically a plastic violin. And he is, like, so hungry to soak it up because this could actually be a ticket to a new life for him. This could take him out of the camp. He could go to Europe. He could go to a conservatory. He could, like, change not only his life, but then bring back what he's learned and change the lives around him. So this mentality of, like, and, and again, I know, maybe it's naive, but but I get really, you can hear, I get really excited oh, about you it think? because this I mean, is, like, this it's, is it's massive huge. what you've yeah. done. You know, God bless your couch. But on the other hand, <laughs> but you know what? In all in all deference to your piece of furniture, Molly and Anna, you are who you are, you know, furniture notwithstanding. If you thought about this standing up in the corner, you know what I mean? This was massive what you've yeah. done. It will trip off so many things. You've inspired me. I'm going on that website. All right. I want to thank you for allowing me to hear your story and have this conversation with you guys. Who's to say that you won't come back, Molly, for a third time, Anna, for a second time? I like repeat offenders, you know? Uh, (laughs) You are changing the world, maybe one day at a time, and it may be one child at a time, but you're doing it, and how wonderful for you, and making beautiful music at the same time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.